Today's installment of Nachiomi has been sponsored by Ariel Kalati and family in memory of Dorina Kalati Zichonadevacha, as well as by Charlotte Shaverdi for the Hatzlacha and continued growth and success of Yeshivat Deavaskel. Uh, all of our learning is available for sponsorship. Anyone who would like to contribute and support, it's much appreciated. Uh, we're going to begin in Shmuel Aleph, Perik Zayin, where we left off yesterday. Um, I read into the first two psukim of Perik Zayin yesterday because in reality, <coughs> they are not actually part of the paragraph that uh, begins here, but are actually part of the section prior, or at least Pasuk Aleph, which is Vayavo'u, that the people of, of Kiryat Yarim came and they brought the Aaron to the house of Avinadav in Giv'ah. This was really a part of the previous paragraph, of the end of what we would call Perek Vav. And Pasuk Bet is its own section in the Tanakh, actually, its own little separated off paragraph that says from the time that the Aaron was in Kiryat Yarim, for those 20 years, the people started to follow Hashem. So these actually are not directly... That, that particular pasuk is actually isolated from uh, both what comes before and what comes after uh, in the Navi. So as I had mentioned, following the chapter divisions can sometimes be misleading because they sometimes connect things that are not actually connected in the Hebrew text and sometimes they separate between things that are not actually to be separated. But in any case, we're going to start from pasuk Gimel, from the third pasuk, which is really the beginning of what would be a new chapter if we were following the divisions that appear in the Hebrew text. We see that a transition has happened. The Aaron is now in um, the Aaron is now in the uh, possession of or under the supervision of Avinadav in uh, in the in the house of Avinadav in uh, in Giv'ah, and uh, people have started to follow Hashem, and that's where we open in Pasuk Gimel. It says, el Hashem." This is Shmuel giving a speech to the people. And he says, if with all of your heart you've returned to Hashem, then get rid of all of the false gods that are among you. And the Ashtarot, <laughs> these are two types of gods that they would worship. And prepare your hearts, dedicate your hearts to Hashem and serve Him alone. And then He will save you from the hands of the Plishtim. So you see that what has happened here is a revolutionary transition, transformation among the people that up till now, under the rulership of Bnei Eli, obviously they were tolerating the existence of idolatry among the Jewish people. That's why the Jews kept falling um, before their enemies. That's why they kept surrendering or fleeing from before the Plishtim. That's why they thought of the Aaron itself as a type of a magical talisman or almost a godlike or divinely uh, empowered magic box. That's what they thought of it as because their view of religion was colored by the idolatry that had sept, it had crept into and seeped into um, Jewish consciousness. So as a result of these factors, they had a distorted view of Hashem, a distorted view of Judaism. And this is what, as I had mentioned, B'nai Eli capitalized on that because corrupt leaders want an uneducated citizenry. They want people who don't know any better. They want people who have a kind of a way of thinking that they can manipulate and take advantage of for their own purposes. And for if B'nai Eli, were, uh, if B'nai Eli had to serve a Jewish people who recognized what true righteousness was, who knew what true knowledge of God was, who rejected idolatry, who rejected materialism and recognized how 
uh, inferior materialism was to serving God, then they never would have accepted the Bnei Eli and they never would have followed Bnei Eli and they never would have given any credence to anything that Bnei Eli did. So the fact is that there was a symbiotic relationship. There was a feeding in on both sides. The Jewish people supported and fed into the position of the Bnei Eli because that was how they saw religion. And of course, Bnei Eli benefited from the fact that the Jewish people saw religion that way. But Shmuel is a true leader. So he comes along and he says, the first thing you need to do, you want to be saved from the Plishtim. It's not going to be because you bring a magical box called an Aron into the battlefield. It's not going to be because you brought sacrifices and gave meat to the Bnei Eli and therefore the power of those Kohanim, the good luck that they're going to bring you, they're going to come out with Aaron into the battlefield that's going to help you and save you. That's not how it works. It's if you get rid of the idolatry from your hearts and you serve Hashem alone and you truthfully and genuinely are dedicated to God, that requires a real transformation. That requires a real change, getting rid of all the superstitions and all the nonsense, all the idolatry and all of the occult practices Everything that was common back then that had crept into Judaism and tainted Judaism and that was had become in a way integrated with their distorted view of Judaism that, that, that held sway during the times of B'nai Eli. You have to purify that in order to, for God to help you. That's a to- There's no magical shortcut that God is going to help you. That is what Shmuel is telling them. So the Jewish people agreed to get rid of the Ba'alim and the Ashtarot, all the idolatry, and they served God alone. In other words, Shmuel never tries to make the focus himself. He's truly trying to educate the people and teach them. You want Hashem to save you. It's not through a human being, a Kohen. It's not through a certain object, an Aaron. None of that is going to save you. What's going to save you is a relationship with Hashem. And they agree. He tells everyone to come to Mitzpah. And I'm going to pray for you to Hashem. Okay, now again, what kind of a leadership is this? And of the Bnei Eli, their whole leadership was that they would take the sacrifices of the people and in taking the sacrifices of the people and of course enriching themselves along the way, they promised all kinds of blessings or whatever kind of benefit would come to Am Yisrael as a result of that. And when Eli, the Kohen Gadol, sees Chana praying, he says, what is, it? what is this praying? I've never seen anybody praying before. Here we see Shmuel is telling them, what am I going to do for you? I'm not going to offer sacrifice, your sacrifices in the, in the Mishkan and take some of the meat. I'm not going to bring you good luck. I'm going to pray to God. The praying of a leader is a very significant thing. We've spoken about it in other shiurim and other connections before. But because since tefillah is standing before Hashem, tefillah means r- focusing on where I stand before God what my life's meaning really is in the eyes of God, how I can bring my life closer to what God expects from me instead of what I want it to be, instead of what I desire it to be, which might be very small, very trivial, very limited, but being able to transform myself and bring myself in line with God's plan. That's what standing before God is. And of course, the leader's tefillah is powerful, whether it's Moshe Rabbeinu, whether it's Avraham Avinu, like in this week's parasha with Sedom, whether it is Moshe Rabbeinu, whether it is uh, Shmuel Navi, whenever a leader is praying, whether it's Choni Ame'agel in the stories uh, in the Gemara, whenever a leader of Israel is praying, or Rabbi Hanina ben Dosa also has talked about in the Gemara, whenever a great leader is praying for Am Yisrael, since it is the leader whose understanding of Hashem and understanding of Hashem's plan is going to be the understanding and the vision that guide the people, so therefore his tefillah is relevant to the entire people because the way he sees himself 
and therefore sees the Jewish people. He sees himself and he knows he's a leader of the Jewish people. He's a guide of the Jewish people. So his understanding of a Kadosh Baruch Hu is going to be definitive and determinative for the entire Jewish people. Just like when Moshe Rabbeinu asked to have an insight into the ways of Hashem. Hashem, Hashem, El Rachum V'chanun, El Chapayim V'chesed V'met, that ultimate understanding he had was the basis on which he was able to renew the relationship between Hashem and the Jewish people because he said, with this renewed understanding of God, I can be a better leader. I can be a more effective leader. I understand the plan of God differently and I will express and share that vision with my students, with the Jewish people. So the Tfilab Shmuel means that I'm not going to serve you by processing your korbanot. I'm going to serve you by Tfilah. I'm going to serve you by enabling us all to stand before Hashem and to understand and reflect on what our purpose is in this world. That's what a true leader does. So they gathered together on Mitzpatah. They drew water and poured it out before Hashem. Now most of the commentaries take that as a metaphor to mean that what they did was they poured their hearts out before Hashem. It's a metaphor. But it could also be literal. Some commentaries take it literally that they poured out water, meaning to symbolize that they were fasting. <laughs> they fasted on that day. And they said, we sinned before Hashem and we've made an error because they understood in order to have a religion where it makes sense that somehow an, a box and Aaron Kodesh could have magical power or where Korbanot could have a magical power or where the feeding of the Bnei Eli could bring a person good luck or whatever it was. In order to have an understanding like that, you have to have a type of a distorted understanding of Hashem. And, they, and that shows you, in other words, it never said before that they were worshipping idols. But we can see now that they were. They were worshipping idols. They had to get rid of them. They didn't see a contradiction between idols and what they were doing in serving God. And obviously, Bnei Eli failed terribly in allowing that to fester. So, Vayishpot Shmuel et Bnei Yisrael Bamitzpah. And Shmuel judged Bnei Yisrael and Mitzpah. Normally, Vayishpot in the book of Shoftim doesn't really refer to judging like in the sense of a court case. But it means teaching and instructing and guiding and ruling over them. In other words, he was directing them, instructing them. But Rashi actually says that it could have a literal meaning as well. That here it means he judged them in the sense that he took people to, uh, like the Radak says, that he actually uh, punished those who required punishment for crimes they had done. Or Rashi says that means ben adam lechaviro, that not only did they have to rectify sins between themselves and Hashem, but also they had to rectify sins between each other, among themselves, because the corruption of Bnei Eli certainly filtered down to the way people interacted with and treated one another, and therefore that also had to be corrected. The, the Plishtim heard that the Jewish people had gathered in Mitzpah. And of course, what do they assume? They're not going to assume that Bnei Yisrael are gathering for a religious type of activity because that would have been done somewhere else. What they're going to assume is that they're gathering together to go to war, probably because they have the Aron back. And now they have the Aron back, they're going to try to start up with us again. Okay, So the Jewish people were afraid. So what happened was that the Lishtim said, oh, the Jewish people are all gathering together. They're probably going to attack us. We better strike them first. So they gathered together, the Lishtim, to attack. And of course, the Jews are afraid. They said, don't abandon us. From crying out to God. So that he will save us from the hands of the Plishtim. They didn't say the Aron is going to save us. They didn't say the Kohanim are going to save us. They said Hashem is going to save us, but we need your tefillah. In other words, we need Shmuel's guidance and his leadership in order to uh, have the zechut of having Hashem's 
providence with us. He took one fatty lamb. Shmuel brought one burnt offering to God. Now in those days, um, because they had a thing called Bamot, since Shiloh was destroyed after the time of Eli, Shiloh, the sanctuary, was destroyed. And during the time between the, the destruction of Shiloh and the building of the Beta Mikdash, the first Beta Mikdash, you were allowed to bring sacrifices on Bamot, on personal altars in any place. And anybody could bring them. You didn't need a Kohen. <coughs> so Shmuel was allowed to bring a Koban because this was not the Beta Mikdash and they were not in, they were not in an, an official communal place of worship. They were in a, an individual uh, Mizbeach, individual altar that he built. He brought a burnt offering completely to Hashem. Now, why does it mention what kind of offering? You can, number one, you notice that all he brought was one, one small tale means a, like a baby, like a one sheep he brought as a burnt offering. So it shows you the de-emphasis on the korban. It's the youngest type of a korban. It's a, uh, it's a uh, tale chalav. They say means uh, that it was still suckling milk from its mother. In other words, it was a baby sheep and he made it as a, a, a kalil, ola kalil, which means that the person doesn't benefit at all. Unlike the Bnei Eli who are grabbing the meat and were hoarding on the meat, uh, hoarding the meat and, and, and taking as much as they could and, and gorging themselves on the meat, Shmuel brings one simple small korban and he doesn't, and he makes a type of korban that he doesn't take any of it. And one of the interpretations that Chazal give, Rashi actually gives that it was a female uh, ola. And he says the reason why that, uh, because you see that there's a Korean akativ, the word vayalehu is written vayaleha. It's read vayalehu, which means it masculine, but it's written vayaleha, which is it feminine. And the rabbis say, you see from here that a female ola could be brought on an individual altar. But Rashi says that the reason it was that, and, and so, and that, so that's one, so one possibility was male, it was female, but either way, this could be a, um, this one sacrifice is a contrast to the way in which the Bene Eli used the sacrifices because it's simple, it's small, it's limited, and there's no human enjoyment in it. A korban ola usually is a recognition of God. It's a pure recognition of God. It means that I'm simply giving something to God, not taking anything. And so an ola is the holiest type of a korban because it's the ultimate acknowledgement of God's greatness. And that's what he did. And Shmuel then cried out to Hashem on the behalf of Israel, and Hashem answered him. While Shmuel is bringing the sacrifice, and the Plishtim came to fight Israel. And on that day, Hashem shocked the Plishtim with a great loud noise, thunder, fire, whatever it was. And they were, so whatever it was, it made them disconcerted, it threw them off balance, and the Jewish people were. Uh, you know, prevailed in the battle, the Plishtim were stricken before Israel. Talks about how far they went in the chase. Shmuel took one rock between Mitzpah and Shen. It says here, it was called the rock of help. 
Until here Hashem helped us. In other words, he put up a, man, a monument, basically, to the battle that Hashem helped them. After that, the Plishtim were humbled. They didn't try to enter into the border of Israel. The hand of God was on the Plishtim the whole time that Shmuel was ruling. So what happened was all the cities that actually we read about in the previous chapter where uh, they were shifting around the Aron from city to city, all those cities ended up returning to the, to the um, ownership of the Jewish people. They reconquered all these cities that originally belonged to the Jews and had been taken by Plishtim. All of them became um, restored to Israel and they had peace with the Emori also. What does it show you? It shows you that being under proper leadership, this is exactly what Hannah said in her tefillah, exactly what Hannah said in her original tefillah, that having the right leadership, that's teaching the right ideas, that's guiding people in the proper direction, that is how the Jewish people will have the zechut to be saved from their troubles and to live under the bachot of Hashem instead of under the klalot. And this is indeed what happens, that the people following the der Hashem under the leadership of Shmuel, all of a sudden everything changes, all of a sudden, they're winning in battle. All of a sudden, the Plishtim are retreating. All of a sudden, they're re- regaining the territory they had lost to the Plishtim. And everything is secure, and everything is safe, and everything is peaceful, because they're following the Der Hashem. Not because of any magic, not because of any magical boxes, not because of the Aron is bringing them good luck, not because the Kohanim are bring, giving them good luck, or anything like that. Purely because they're following the way of Hashem. Shmuel ruled or judged the Jewish people all the days of his life. He would make a yearly tour throughout the country. He went around Beit-El. He would judge Israel in all these places. In other words, he picked certain points across the country that he would circle around to each year. He would stop there. He would hold court there. He would instruct. He would teach. He would answer questions. He would provide guidance. That was how he maintained his leadership over the people. In other words, he wasn't a passive leader. He was actively making sure. He wasn't like the Benayli that sat back in the Beit HaMikdash and waited for people to come and bring them meat. He was out there getting involved, making sure actively that the Jewish people remained on the proper path of serving God, judging and teaching and instructing and guiding and so on. And his return to Ramah, because that was his house, that was where he lived, in other words, even after he returned, the pshat of the pasuk, some meaning of the pasuk is that he would return to his, after his yearly tour, he would return to Ramah where he lived, the Sham Shafat Yisrael, and people would come to him there also. And he built an altar there to Hashem. Now what does that show you? Very, very interesting. Two things. Number one, he didn't have a sense of my private domain and my public domain. In other words, even his private domain, his home, was a place people would come to uh, consult with him and he would provide them leadership and guidance from his home as well, just like he did when he was on the road. That's number one. Number two, see, he built the Mizbeach there. Now, why is that critical? Because, <coughs> because you see that the first, what made the place a special place, that he was judging the people. Now, judging doesn't mean in a negative way. It means that he was providing leadership and Torah guidance to the people from there. So he built the Mizbeach there. The primary thing was the teaching and the learning that was going on under the leadership of Shmuel. And because that sanctified the place as a place of Avodat Hashem, he also brought korbanot in that place. He also had religious services in that place. The religion was never separated from 
the study of Torah. It was never separated from being on the proper path of God, unlike what the Bnei Eli did, that they separated between these two things, and they said that you can serve God with sacrifices while being a person who's fundamentally, internally corrupt. Shmuel turned that around. He said, no, first we work on lishpotet Yisrael, to judge the Jewish people, meaning to make sure they're living according to the way of God, and then we have korbanot, we have amizbeach, we have religious worship of God, um, you have to have one before uh, you have the other. So there's, another, there's an interesting Midrash, very famous, that it says, that he returned to Ramah, which there was his home. So it says, everywhere he went, there was his home. What does it mean, everywhere he went, there was his home? It means, according to the Chazal, the rabbis say that Shmuel, anywhere he went, he always brought his own provisions with him. He never wanted to impose himself upon the Jewish people. So even though he was going out of his way to travel and to tour and to provide guidance to the people, he never wanted to be a burden on anyone. So he like took along his own trailer, basically, that he would stay on his own. He never went into anyone's house or imposed upon anyone's hospitality when he was traveling throughout the country. So even though he was rendering to them a service, he never took anything in return for it. Everywhere he went, he had his house with him, meaning he brought everything he needed so he didn't have to depend on the people for any support. What does it show you? Again, a negation of the Bnei Eli. He had no personal vested interest, no material interest here, no self-aggrandizement and no uh, padding of his pockets as a result of his position. He was purely serving the people and he totally reversed their concept of what it meant to serve God from a sacrificial, more materialistic, more physical form of worship to an idea that no, the real worship of God is in the knowledge of God, is in tefillah, is in following the way of God and having a proper leader who can instruct us in emulating the ways of God. And secondary to that, within that, once you have that, then you can have sacrifices and other religious worship. But without that, you won't. And it's only when you have the proper relationship with God and you get rid of the idolatry, even the idolatry that has crept its way into Judaism, you have to get rid of that too, even the idolatry that attached itself to the korbanot, that they thought they were magical, even the idolatry that attached itself to the Aron Kodesh, that they thought it was magical, you got to get rid of all that idolatry and then you'll see Hashem's hand manifesting itself. And that's exactly what happened to the Jewish people. Suddenly, Shmuel's leadership ushered in because they changed so radically, Shmuel's leadership ushered in a period of unprecedented peace and success, tranquility and blessing. And so this is really what, what is a huge turning point in the story of really of Shoftim. It's almost like the end of the book of Shoftim because Shmuel was the last really of the Shoftim, the last of the judges of Israel. Um, and we see here, one. La- if you look at the book of Shoftim, it's all the decline of the Jewish people going down further and further. Here, it's a bouncing back up in the times of Shmuel. They rise back up and they reach the path of God again under the leadership of Shmuel. And that brings along with it the material success and brachot as well. So we see here a very important lesson for us, I think, that we should never mistake external religiosity or external ritual for internal, genuine religiosity and connection with God. That's really what counts. That's really what makes the difference. And Bezrat Hashem, tomorrow we will continue Perkhet with what's going to happen as Shmuel's career comes to a close and the Jewish people want a smooth transition of leadership so they can continue the stability they enjoyed in the times of Shmuel. So we're going to see what happens in tomorrow's chapter.